0: Father, we come now on this Thanksgiving week, the very first day of Thanksgiving week. And we've come specifically to refresh on what it means to give you thanks. Father, we praise you that in the mystery of your sovereign grace, you have chosen to have a text like this before us. Right on time for us to think about biblical thanksgiving on the week we will celebrate nationally our thanksgiving. And so, Father, we bless your name and we praise you and we give you thanks. It was not necessary for you to do that. And yet you love us and you give us these gifts that if we are receptive to see them, we will see and glory in you and give you thanks for your worthy and so we praise you for the gift of it all and praise you for the gift of having the freedom to come this morning and praise you father for the story of thanksgiving and how by your providence those brave men and women survived that six weeks journey from england to america And though they lost almost everything, yet they trusted you and gave you thanks. May it be true of us, O Father. May it be true of us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we began thinking about the text before us this morning. And if you haven't already, then you would want to turn your Bibles to Hebrews 13. Last week we began thinking about this text before we, can, uh, before we finished up last time. We concluded that the Jewish recipients of this letter were probably in their hearts. At least the author was anticipating that they might in their hearts be questioning whether or not Christianity required any sacrifice beyond the sacrifice that was made by the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross And to our surprise, the author actually says, yes. In fact, there are two sacrifices that every believer should offer to God every day of their lives. While it's true that there is no place in the Christian life for a physical temple, or animal sacrifices, or human priesthood, because Christ has replaced it all, and it's the fulfillment of every aspect of the Old Covenant, that's been the message all the way through the book of Hebrews, Nevertheless, nevertheless, he says, verse 15, we have an altar. We Christians have an altar. And verse 16, we have sacrifices. In fact, the word sacrifices is used in both. And as I submitted to you last week, there are two sacrifices that he's referring to. The first one is the sacrifice of worship, which we skipped last week so that we could spend time on it this week. The other one is the sacrifice of work. The sacrifice of work. But in verse 15, he says, We have an altar, and the altar refers to the, to the cross upon which the Lord Jesus died, you remember, outside the camp. Because that's where the yearly sin offering was made. The animal was taken outside the camp to a special altar that was designated for that time, once a year, where it would be offered for the purpose of atoning for the sins of all the people. No one got to eat any part of that. It was completely burned to ashes. And it was as if all of the people's sin was on that animal. Likewise, the Lord Jesus died as the Lamb of God, who took away the sins of all who would believe, a world of people, he took them with him and upon him outside the gate to a hill called Golgotha where he too was sacrificed. Except his sacrifice was the once for all, and eternal sacrifice for sin. But nevertheless, we do have these two sacrifices for us. Beyond that, not having anything to do with atoning for sin because the Lord Jesus took care of all of that. And yet, we as believers have work to do. There are things that God requires of us who have been forgiven. Let's refresh a little bit here by reading the text, verses 15 and 16. Verse 15. Through Him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips That give thanks to his name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing. For with such sacrifices God is pleased. Last week, as I said, we passed over verse 15 because I really wanted to save it for today. The Lord's Day before Thanksgiving. You'll remember what we learned about the sacrifice of work. That is, the daily sacrifice of doing good and Sharing. And we learned last week that the Greek word here for sharing is what? Remember? Koinonia, which means fellowship. And so there is a kind of work, a kind of service, a kind of sacrifice that we do for one another that's not just meeting a need, but building the body of Christ, building relationships in the body of Christ. And wasn't it encouraging to you and to me to learn that every time we make room in our busy schedules to serve someone else and to do something that they need someone to do for them, that God is pleased with that in the same way that He would be pleased with an Old Testament Israelite taking a spotless lamb, bringing it to the altar, and sacrificing it to God as a peace offering? Encourage me to know that God desires such sacrifice and is pleased by it but there's more i want to go back to verse 15 and we'll spend the rest of our time there considering the other christian sacrifice and that's the sacrifice of worship in verse 15 the sacrifice of worship now again i assume that some of you missed last week so let me refresh the historical context here in the old covenant system there were many different kinds of sacrifices not just the sin offering many sacrifices there were sacrifices of birds and goats and grain and wine. There were sacrifices that had to be burned completely and those that could be partially burned and partially eaten. There were both bloody and bloodless sacrifices. Some sacrifices involved fire and others didn't. Some sacrifices included things like wine and oil and dough and cakes and corn either on the ear or as meal. And Some sacrifices were required by law at certain times during the year while Uh, Others were given voluntarily according to the desires or the inclination of the individuals. There were sin offerings, guilt offerings, burnt offerings, wave offerings, heave offerings, and drink offerings. But the offering that he's thinking of specifically here, the one that he has in mind, is a kind of offering known as the peace offering. And as we discovered last week, the peace offering was so named... Not because it was an offering by which the offerer would make peace with God. But rather, it was called a peace offering because it could only be offered by people who were already at peace with God. The propitiatory sacrifice was already trusted in by them and offered by the priest. And like us, the sacrifice has been made we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, there are sacrifices with which God is pleased from us. The peace offering was offered by an individual who loved the Lord their God, and simply wanted to express gratitude and faith to Him for His loving kindness, His provision, The peace offering was never commanded, but was presented spontaneously according to the desire of the worshiper who had been brought to peace with God by faith through the prescribed sacrifice for sin. The Hebrew term for this type of offering is zibach Shalomim. And sometimes it's just referred to as the shalomim. And the shalomim is a word in Hebrew which is directly related to a word you already know. Shalom. Peace, hence it is called the peace offering. A representative portion of this offering was burnt on the altar, it was burnt completely. Normally the kidneys and the fat that went with it were burnt entirely on the altar. A portion of that offering, however, was given to the Kohanim, which were the priests, and the rest was eaten by the offerer and his family. Thus, everyone gets a part of the offering. God gets a part, the priest gets a small part, and the family of the offerer gets all the rest, and it is eaten. And it's important to note, once again, that this class of offering has nothing to do with sin. In fact, the Talmud says this. This is interesting. The Talmud, this is a non-inspired document that is was pulled together by ancient rabbis. It was already together. Uh, in the days of Jesus, but trying to give some explanation on how to understand all of these things and what they mean for the future and answering questions that people have is basically a commentary on Old Testament law. And in the Talmud, the ancient rabbis said that when Messiah comes and sets up his kingdom, there will only be one offering. It is the peace offering. The peace offering. Sometimes the peace offering is called the fellowship offering. It was a sacrifice that would engender a kind of joyful fellowship between God and the people who offered the lamb or the bull or whatever it was. More often than not, however, the peace offering was simply called the thank offering or the offering of thanksgiving. Because the reason for the offering was to give thanks to God for His grace and mercy. Did you have a baby recently? You might go to the temple and say, God, thank you for this child. Did God bless your crops this year and the harvest has come in in full? You might go to the off or go to the temple and take a lamb with you and say, Priest, offer this to God. Tell Him, thank you. Everything that I have belongs to Him, and He has blessed me bountifully. I know this isn't required. I just want to say, thank you. It's an offering of thanksgiving. In fact, the more I studied about the thank offering this week, the clearer it became that it was more like a thanksgiving feast than simply an offering, and something the whole family would participate in together at the temple. The head of the household... The dad or the granddad, maybe, would take an animal large enough not only to provide the burnt offering, but large enough also to provide an entire meal for the family and have a portion of it given to the priest. And then, as best I can tell, after the offering was made, the animal was roasted on the altar, and the family would come together somewhere I think, in the temple courts. Now, I'm guessing here, and those of you who perhaps know Old Testament temple ritual better than I do, would clarify this for me later. But I suspect wherever they ate the meal, it was probably either in the court of women, which everybody could go to unless you were a Gentile. Uh, That's where, remember when Jesus, the whole story of the widow's mite? That's where that happened, in the court of women, because there were these trumpet-shaped Things with boxes at the bottom that the, the people would go put their money in. And the Pharisees would go and blow trumpets and have everybody watch them pour. They would, they would take all their big currency and they would reduce it to temple pennies, the smallest amount possible, so that when they poured it in that, in that trumpet, it would make as big a sound as possible. And that whole deal took place in the court of women. Maybe they ate there. Because we know Jesus and his men were just sitting around there. There was plenty of room. Or it may have been that on prescribed times when people were encouraged to make the thank offering, they may have to do it. I mean, talk about uh, having uh, fellowship lunch problems. Imagine uh, Israel, everybody showing up to make a thank offering. But they had this place called the Court of the Gentiles. This is where Jesus went in with the cat and nine tails, and he chased the money changers out of the temple. This was acreage of courtyard, a courtyard that was completely paved and surrounded by porticos. And I would imagine they would, they would take a blanket or, 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 or something and sit out, kind of Eastern style as they do, and lay out there on, on the, the, uh, the temple grounds with this sacrifice that was roasted for the family and anything else that they were allowed to bring in to eat. And they would have this meal of Thanksgiving together, very much like we will this coming Thursday. And this is all reminiscent, I think, as I pondered this some more last night, very reminiscent of what was called the covenant meal that was shared between two people who would enter covenant together. For example, all the way back in Genesis, you remember the story of Jacob and Laban, and there was hostility between them, and Jacob took off with, his, with Laban's two lovely daughters and all their, uh, the herds that God had given them, and... Um, and he ran off. Well, Laban got mad and took his men and chased Jacob down. You remember back in the 70s or 80s, uh, the Christian s- stores were, uh, had these little heart-shaped things, heart-shaped pendants that you would wear. And, uh, you know, you got one, and the person you loved got one, and it said Mizpah on it. And it said, the Lord, may the Lord watch between thee and me while we are apart. Right? Isn't that sweet? You know what Mizpah was really about? Laban was so angry with Jacob, he wanted to kill him. And uh, Jacob was so worried about his family being harmed that he was going to protect them. And so, as a compromise, they erected an Ebenezer. You know, here I raise my Ebenezer. Anybody ever wondered what that was? It's a pile of rocks. (laughs) It's a pile of rocks that serves as a monument for some covenant that was made. And that's what they did. They made a a covenant with one another, and they said this, if you don't cross that line, I promise I won't kill you. If you don't come into my territory, I won't make war with you. And Jacob said, well, if you don't come into my territory, I won't make more war with you. And so the little heart really means I promise not to kill you when I see you. <laughs> but here's what happened between Jacob and Laban. When they made that covenant, it was called cutting covenant, because they would actually kill an animal, cut the pieces in half, and and walk between them, holding hands, very much like Abraham was supposed to do with God, but God walked through the pieces by himself. They were to hold hands and walk between those dead animals, declaring, tacitly perhaps, may what happened to these animals happen to me if I ever violate this covenant. And after they would do that, then they would take the animals and they would be prepared for a meal, and they would eat the covenant meal together. Hence indicating, I am in complete agreement with you, my brother, that there shall be peace between you and me. And let us solidify it with a meal of fellowship. Interestingly enough, in Exodus 24, when God was entering into covenant with Israel, You may not be aware of this little note that's made in Exodus 24. The Ten Commandments have been given. Exodus 20, we read them the first time. And God calls Moses and the 70 elders up the mountain. And let me just read what the text says. This is uh, Exodus 24, verses 9 through 11. Then Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel... And they saw the God of Israel and under his feet there appeared to be a pavement of sapphire as clear as the sky itself. Yet he did not stretch out his hand against the nobles of the sons of Israel. And they beheld God and they ate and drank in his presence. This is in perfect keeping with how covenants were made. You cut covenant, you agree to the terms, and then you sit down to a meal of fellowship to solidify it. And by the way, this is exactly what God did when He established the Passover. He was saying, when you are in your land that I promised to give you, every year, every year, Yom Kippur, you are to offer The appropriate sin offering, the high priest entering into the Holy of Holies once a year. We know all that. We've rehearsed that through the whole book of Hebrews. And you are to eat the Passover meal that very day. The lamb is to be slaughtered, roasted, all kinds of various herbs and drink were prescribed. And you are to eat it with your family and if your neighbor didn't have enough people to constitute a family, you were to invite them and they were to join you in that covenant meal. And by the way, you remember when Jesus was establishing the new covenant? Do you remember the timing that he chose to establish the new covenant? It was during Passover, on the very evening they were to celebrate the Passover meal, thus affirming the old covenant. And he says, oh, no, no, no. From here on, this meal that you will share together is a reminder of the new covenant. Do this in remembrance of me. And so they eat the bread and they drink the wine and they celebrate this Passover fellowship meal together. The thank offering then brought this covenant meal home in a very special and very personal, very spontaneous way. Whenever a family wanted to give thanks to God for his loving kindness to them, which by the way, was a covenant promise. If you obey me, I will what? I will bless you. The old covenant said, I will, your herds will grow. Your wives, wife, wife, will not be barren. You will have many children. Your flocks will produce in abundance. Your enemies will be far from you. Disease will be eradicated from in your midst. I will be your God and you shall be my special people. And people who lived like that according to the covenant, who were at peace with God because of God's provision that they received by faith and offered the sacrifice, they then periodically, when God fulfilled His covenant by them, whether it be crops or whether it be the birth or whether it be anything that they wanted to thank God for, they would bring their family to the priest and bring that precious little lamb And they would offer it, and then they would sit down in the temple courts, eating a meal of thanksgiving. It kind of sounds like the thanksgiving that we're going to enjoy this week, does it not? I think, however, it's difficult to imagine what it would have been like in that day. There you are in the very temple of the Lord. God's very presence is just a few feet away. You can't see it, but it's in the Holy of Holies, over the Ark of the Covenant. And it's almost impossible to describe. The only person who's ever seen it is the high priest. Fire, smoke, fear. And yet he's blessing, and he's blessed you. God's presence is only a couple of rooms away, merely a few yards, a very few feet away from where you and your family are sitting before Him, eating a covenant meal with Him, reaffirming His covenant with you. There are priests dressed in white and blue, busily about their business everywhere you look. There are musicians playing, and a male, all-male choir of Levites singing praises to God. And people are gathering with their families all over the courtyard, singing, laughing, eating, and rejoicing. That's Thanksgiving. That's Thanksgiving. That's what the thank offering was all about. It was all about God. It was all about God. And this is what the peace offering is. We see it taking place in various times in Old Testament history, especially in the days of Hezekiah, the 2 Chronicles 29, you remember when Hezekiah became king and restored the temple worship to the nation of Israel after the initial sin offering was made to purify the people, Hezekiah said these words, Now that you have consecrated yourselves to the Lord, come near and bring sacrifices and thank offerings to the house of the Lord. And the assembly brought sacrifices and thank offerings. And all those who were willing brought Burnt offerings. And then again, 2 Chronicles chapter 30. After reestablishing the feast of the Passover in Israel, Hezekiah spoke encouragingly to all the Levites, the text says, who showed good insight in the things of the Lord. And so they ate for the appointed seven days, sacrificing peace offerings and giving thanks to the Lord God of their father. This is something they could do. Anytime and every time they wanted to. Just go to the temple, stand in line, offer your sacrifice, and give God thanks. Give Him praise. And then again, Second Chronicles 31, after systematically destroying all the idols. You see what he's done here. He's established temple worship. Then he establishes the Passover. And then he sends his faithful Levites out. And they go looking for all the images that have been brought into Israel, especially in Judah, around the temple. And they go and destroy them. And when they're done ripping down all the high places, the Asherim, all the idols to Baal that had come into the temple area and its surroundings, then Hezekiah appointed the divisions of the priests and the Levites by their divisions, each according to his service, both the priests and the Levites, for burnt offerings and for peace offerings. And here's why. To minister and to give thanks and to praise in the gates of the camp of the Lord. This is what the author of Hebrews is pointing these Jewish people back to. We're not Jewish. We didn't live in that time. There's no way we could know this if we don't dig around in history a little bit. But I believe this is what he's referring to. This is exactly what his readers would have known. However, now that Christ has come, there's no longer a need for sacrifices of flesh and blood that can be scheduled And regulated. Nevertheless we're called to continue to offer sacrifices of thankful worship. It's a kind of sacrifice that we offer to God voluntarily spontaneously every time we have opportunity to praise him for his goodness his mercy his grace toward us it's a spontaneous sacrifice of the heart whereby our love for god and our gratefulness to god and faith in the promises of god results in joyful worship from a thankful heart spontaneously i wonder i wonder if we really Understand the importance of a thankful heart as a child of God. Sometimes as Christians, we're tempted to think that since God has saved us by grace alone through the once for all sacrifice of Christ alone, that He expects nothing of us. And that's not true. If we are children of God by grace It is expected that we will live before God in a constant state of thankfulness. Which is the natural fruit born of faith. Notice verse 15. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. In the Greek language, you know what the word continually means? It means continually. All the time. Everywhere, beloved, our lives are to be characterized by thankfulness to God for every good and perfect gift we receive from His hand. Children, listen to me. Listen to me. Children, do I have your attention. When your mom and dad tell you when you got that frumpy face on your face... (laughs) Painted myself into a corner. When you look down at your plate and you go, yuck. And you're not saying it out loud, but your face is saying, yuck. And your mama says, you know, there are children all over the world who's not getting the asparagus today. Be thankful. Well, your mom is Right. But it's not because other children, in the mystery of God's providence, are not being fed a feast like you are. That's a good reason. But, God is worthy of your sacrifice. God is worthy of you looking at your plate and saying, I don't like it. God, thank you. Thank you. I think the assumption here is that we will be a people who are characterized by worshipful prayer worshipful prayers of thanksgiving i get the idea of worship from the word praise in verse 15 through him let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to god this is not just thankfulness this is worshipful thankfulness this is whatever it is god my thanks is not based on the value of the thing but on the value of the giver who has given it to me for my good. Whether it be a circumstance that I think of like Brussels sprouts that I never wanted to eat, but God has put it on my plate, and that's all i got for today, is to deal with this circumstance that I hate. I need to say, God, thank you. I know you're working all things together for my good to conform me to the image of Christ. God, don't let me waste this. Don't let me waste this problem. Change my heart. Change my character. Change my soul. Make me like Christ. God, whatever it takes. And don't, don't allow me through my own stupidity to have to repeat this. I love David Brainerd, who was unjustly criticized. And he wrote in his journal that he was unjustly criticized by a friend. And he said in his journal, God, I pray lest through stupidity or hardness of heart that you would not let me miss the benefit of this trial. God, don't let me miss it. If I'm going to have pain, I want it to be worth something. I want it to be for your glory. God, don't let me miss it. Don't let me miss it. That's worship, beloved. When we look, as it were, into God's face and say, God, the reason I'm thankful is because I trust you. And you are worthy of my thankfulness in this moment where my flesh doesn't feel thankful at all. It's a kind of thankfulness that comes... From the heart that senses not just obligation to be thankful, but also a deep realization that God is worthy of all the thanks we could possibly ever render to His name. And this is why Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, In all things, give thanks. In all things, give thanks. Worshipful thanksgiving should be a dominant characteristic of every believer's life. When we read... Whenever we read the Bible, there should be times when we stop right in the middle of our reading and say, Father, thank you for speaking to me through your book. Give me ears to hear and a heart that desires to put into practice and implement everything I'm hearing from you right now. God, make it not just information, make it conviction. God, I thank you for it. No matter where you are in Scripture, you ought to be able to turn it to praise. You ought to be able to turn it to thanksgiving. Say, Father, thank you. You haven't left me to try to figure out life all by myself. I can't imagine why you love me so much, but thank you. Praise your name for this book. You are worthy of infinitely more adoration than I can give, but I will give you all I have right now. Thank you. When something good happens at the office or a special moment happens with the kids at home, we should stop right there and offer sacrifice of joyful and worshipful thanksgiving. Offer a thanksgiving sacrifice. Even when something bad happens. Like the other morning, Friday morning, I woke up in a tent with one of my boys And a cold front had come through in the night, and it was 29 degrees, and the water bottles had frozen. And I had, I think, the worst night of sleep in my life. And the sun was coming up. I could hear people moving around outside. I was hoping the fire was going. And I stepped out of my tent, and I looked at that clear blue sky. Most beautiful days I've seen in a long time. And I said, God, thank you for this beautiful morning. I had the worst night of sleep you've ever given me. But I praise you for this beautiful morning that is mine because of of your grace. Whatever it is. We ought to be able to point to the stars and hear our kids say, isn't God good? Thank you. One of my boys did. We were sitting at the fire and we were looking up at the Milky Way. We could see it. Just west of Decatur where the sky is clear and crisp. And did I mention Colt? We could see the Milky Way. And one of my boys leaned back in his chair and he said, Awesome. I said, Amen, son. That's right. The point is, just because we don't have the temple and sacrificial system of the old covenant, we nevertheless do have a sacrifice to offer God. We can offer God a sacrifice of thankful praise to the Lord as a continual offering of our gratitude and faith and love. I think the author gets the idea from Psalms like Psalm fifty. Verse 14 that says, Offer God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. Psalm 50, verse 23. He who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me, God says. And to him who orders his way aright, I shall show the salvation of God. In Ephesians, Paul explained that as Christians, we are to be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in our hearts before the Lord, always giving thanks for what? All things. Always giving thanks to God for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, even the Father. Again, in Colossians, we are told, and whatever you do in word or deed, Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks through his name to God the Father. In 1 Thessalonians we are commanded, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. In everything give thanks. And by the way, did you notice the difference between the Ephesians passage and the first Thessalonians passage, we like the first Thessalonians passage because it says give thanks in all things. And I've heard people say from the pulpit, it doesn't say give thanks for, for all things. Well, you're right. It doesn't, but Ephesians does. Ephesians says, singing, making melody in your heart, always giving thanks for all things. In all things, for all things. It's completely all things all the time, no matter what it is give thanks. Give thanks. And by the way, just to seal the deal here, in case you're wondering if thankfulness is really that big a a priority in terms of character qualities of the Christian life or distinguishing marks of a true believer, you could say. I think this very is very, very definitely is a distinguishing mark of a true child of God. And the reason I I think that it's not only because it's, it's listed in so many of these passages and more that I didn't take time to give you, but we have a contrasting passage in Romans 1. Romans 1.21 gives us a distinguishing mark of an unbeliever. They do not honor God or give thanks. Beloved, the teaching of Hebrews 13.15 is, has profound implications for the attitude that characterizes every moment of our lives. Whatever the circumstance, whatever the situation, we must ask ourselves, are we a thankful people? Or are we, like everybody else in the world, just a, a greedy lot? And We look at this upcoming Thanksgiving and then Christmas, all we see is food and presents. Something's wrong with that if you're a child of God. You should see glory. You should see grace. That's why we can give thanks to God for the small things. That's why we can be satisfied with little. That's why Paul was saying, I've learned whatever state I am, the financial ups and downs in life is what he was talking about. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He knew the secret of being content. It didn't have to do with earthly stuff. Had everything to do with knowing God. One of the guys pointed out this morning, and it was Charlie, six thirty. Oh my goodness, we had a wonderful time with the elders this morning. Joe broke the, the bread of the word for us this morning. We have the elder, one elder each morning do that, and he took us to Deuteronomy, and, and it was magnificent. And Charlie said, "Yeah, that reminds me of of uh, John seventeen, where Jesus." Describes eternal life. Herein is eternal life, that they may know you, Jesus says, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's life for us. If we get to know Him, and we get to spend eternity with Him, and we can enjoy some fellowship with Him while we're here, it's all we want. It's all we need. And so we're satisfied, and we're thankful. And so are we a thankful people? Am I a thankful person? And secondly, do we rejoice in the goodness of our God even when things don't go the way we thought they should? I'll never forget when my mom was sick last year and I listened to my dad pray. I know I'm going to embarrass him with this, but it's good for you, so I'll say it. Standing there next to mom's bed, not knowing if she was going to live or die. And he would pray out loud, God, thank you, thank you, thank you for being so good to us, for giving us this many years, for never giving us a reason to lose hope. God, thank you. And I'm, thinking, I'm sitting there thinking, would I be able to do that if that was my wife? The author of Hebrews is saying, if you're a child of God, the answer is yes, you can And that should characterize your life. Do we rejoice in the goodness of our God, even when things don't go the way we thought they should? Number three, are we on the lookout for God's grace in every circumstance? I mean, driving down the road, you see an amazing sunset. Do you think, wow, God, you're awesome. When something comes through that you didn't expect would come through, do you say, God, that's a gift from your hand. i praise you. You ever praise God for the house you live in? I mean, really. Get the kids together. Say, kids, never done this before. Well, we're going to give thanks to God for this house and for our cars and for our food. Or is it just a a memorized little ditty prayer that we say at the beginning of most meals. And do our prayers focus more on our needs and desires or on the goodness and mercy of our God? Are we thankful people? Do we rejoice in the goodness of God every t- even when things don't go our way? Are we on the lookout? Is our radar up for the grace of God in every circumstance? Are we looking for it? And do our prayers focus more on our own needs and desires or on the goodness and mercy of our God? This is a sacrifice of worship. It's a sacrifice with which God is pleased. And out of this thankful heart then comes this motivation for service. And that's what we talked about last week, verse 16 And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. And so we discipline ourselves daily. We build this habit in our lives that whenever we have opportunity, we spontaneously offer God a sacrifice of praise. And then we are free and empowered to minister wherever we see a need. We go, God, thank you for giving me eyes to see this need. Help me to meet it in a way that glorifies Jesus and not me. With that, I will be pleased, and I know you will be pleased. These are the sacrifices that God is calling us to. Beloved, just because the temple has been destroyed does not mean that we don't have a sacrifice to offer God. Our lives should be characterized by humble, joyful thankfulness to our God every day. Through Him, then, let us continually offer up. A sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. I pray that your thanksgiving is full of this. I pray moms as you're cooking and maybe teaching your kids how to do that a little bit. Or dads as you're doing whatever you're going to do with the kids this week when you take time off or with your relatives or your extended family. I charge you. Be on the lookout for God's grace and in the middle of it all offer him the sacrifice of praise. God has never been more pleased with an offering than he is with the new testament believer's sacrifice of worship and thanksgiving. The only exception to that is the offering our beloved savior made in order to make this all possible. Amen. Let's pray. Father We do give you thanks now. We give you thanks here in this place where, granted, it's easy to give you thanks for this fellowship and for your word and for how you sovereignly move in our lives in ways that we could have never asked you to move, doing things that we could have never anticipated, and some of them wonderful and some of them scare us, and yet all of them are a gift from your hand. And so we worship you and praise you. Help us, Father, not to miss opportunities this week to demonstrate that we are truly children of God by offering, even before our unbelieving friends and family, sacrifices of praise continually. May you be honored in that, and may we know the joy of it for Jesus' sake, for we pray in Jesus' name.